0: Welcome to the Preaching Ministry of Nest Baptist, where we seek to equip people to love God and love others. Whether you are a longtime follower of Jesus or are exploring what faith in him might look like, we are glad you're here. It is our prayer that by listening to this message, you may better understand who God is, what he has done for you, and what that means for your life. May all of this lead to the worship of God and be for his glory.
1: reading from Matthew chapter 4, uh, starting at verses 17 to 22. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately, they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, named James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called them. Immediately, they left the boat and their father and followed them. May God a blessing to the reading of his word.
0: Well, thanks, J.L. And uh, I'm also I'm very grateful, uh, you know, this morning for uh, all of the all of the work that I know so many of you have done over this last uh, short season. As uh, we've been uh, going through our, our Advent Christmas season, there was a lot of decorating that happened. A lot of people put in a lot of extra hours for that and uh, the cleanup now all of a sudden in one week kind of everything's gone and so very thankful for Terry Lynette all the work that they've done in getting everything up and then getting everything cleaned out and and uh, of course our team that decorated this year as well and and over the last couple of weeks we've also added like a whole bunch of extra inputs here on the stage and a whole new soundboard. so Bob has been working on that and I know Terry put the baseboards on in the basement, and there's been all kinds of things that have been happening over the last couple of weeks. So, just very grateful for um, for all of all of you who are volunteering uh, so well and uh, so faithfully. Uh, just really appreciate all the work that happens here, and and you know, and, and starting in this new year, if you're looking at getting involved in ministries, we've got a lot of ministries available. We got a ministry board out there that'll let you know all of the different ways that you can serve. We value everybody coming together and contributing towards the church family. And so if you're looking at and interested in being involved, uh, you can talk to Shelley Bergman or myself. We would love to be able to connect you with any of these ministries. But once again, just so grateful and, and thankful for all of the work that Uh, has gone into this past season. And now as we start off, uh, sort of a new uh, sermon series and message series that we're about to go through. It's always an exciting time. Uh, Just before the Advent season, we finished off taking a look at King Solomon. And we saw how his kingdom was really a foretaste. And we saw how uh, this kingdom uh, was really a foretaste of what was to come and the true king that was to come. And that led us into Advent and the coming of the Lord Jesus. Uh, We took a look at the detailed characteristics of that kingdom each week. And so now as we're starting off a new year, we're going to go back to the New Testament, to the Gospels. And we're going to start a look this morning at the five discourses of Jesus in the book of Matthew. So the discourses, when we speak of the five discourses of Matthew, there are five times when Matthew specifically sets apart a, a series of, Verses or chapters to talk about and to focus in on the way in which Jesus talked to and instructed his disciples five times Matthew slows down and focuses on how Jesus taught his disciples and what it was that he taught them and so we're going to take a look at that over this coming year. We will begin with the first discourse. Uh, otherwise known as the Sermon on the Mount, and that goes from Matthew chapter 5 to Matthew chapter 7. We'll do that for January and February, and then we're going to go back to the book of Kings after that, and we're going to pick up where we left off with Elijah, and then we will like, head back to Matthew for the second discourse. So that's kind of how we're going to be doing things over the next number of months. Now, each of Jesus's discourses to his disciples Uh, If we just throw that up on the screen or give me control of it, there we go. Uh, Each of his discourses kind of has a specific focus. So, discourse number one, what we're starting with this week, or it's kind of an intro to that, is all about kingdom life for his disciples in chapters five to seven. Discourse number two is the mission of his disciples from chapter 10. Discourse three is the mysteries of his kingdom that are revealed in parables in chapter 13. Uh, Discourse four is the characteristics of what the Messiah's community is to be like, chapter 18 to 20. And then Discourse 5 is the delay, the return, and the judgment of the Messiah, the all Olivet Discourse, uh, chapter 24 to 25. So those are the five sections of Matthew where Jesus instructs his disciples, and we want to take a look at those. What does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus? Do you consider yourself to be a disciple of his? Yeah, I think this is a very important question for all of us to ask as we start off in this new year. Are you living as a disciple of Jesus Christ? And these discourses of Jesus, they're going to help us with this, to to think about that, uh, to be instructed in that, to be encouraged by it. And in this very important section, Jesus is going to give us some very clear marks or characteristics of what a disciple of his looks like. What kind of attributes are they to have? Uh, These serve as excellent reminders for us as to what our lives are to look like. What are we to be characterized by, uh, not just to ourselves, but to others. So, will you live your life as a disciple this year? So, we want to start by considering that. Will you allow Jesus' calling on your life to truly shape you? Because it had a profound effect on the hearers that listened to Jesus' teachings. Will you allow Jesus' calling on your life to shape you, to change you, and to challenge you in areas where you may be struggling so that you could look more like him? Do you have a desire for this? So before we start looking at Jesus' instructions for his disciples, I want to start by first taking a look at how he called his disciples, and that's why we heard read what we listened to just a few moments ago, because this happened just a few verses before the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, The verse that J.L. just read for us uh, is what we want to look at this morning as we consider the call of a disciple. And let's start there and see if we can hear Jesus calling us this morning. I want to take a look at three things. I want to take a look at how Jesus calls his disciples, at who he calls as disciples, and then number three, what he calls them to do. And I think we see these things fairly clearly in those verses that we just heard read that lead up to his teachings on the Sermon on the Mount. So how Jesus called his disciples, very briefly. In verse 17, we heard this verse read, that from this time Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The first thing we notice here is the way in which Jesus called people to follow him. We see it right at the beginning that as soon as Jesus begins his earthly ministry, he lays out the condition of the absolute first step of becoming one of his disciples. There is no coming to Jesus or considering yourself a follower of Jesus without repentance and belief. We must repent. This is a theme that we see all throughout the Bible, and the rest of the New Testament fleshes this out and explains that this is the defining feature of a Christian. The defining feature of one who would follow Jesus is repentance. We are those who have repented of our sin and we have admitted our guilt before God. Our sin has caused separation between us and God and we can't bridge that gap by ourselves. We need to see this, we need to understand this, we need to be struck by this so that we can truly follow him. It is the only way it is the absolute first step of a disciple. Because God is righteous and holy, the guilt of our sin needs to be dealt with before we can come to him. And this is why Jesus says to repent. Repentance is the key hallmark of the Christian. We have repented of all sin when we first come to him and we continue to live a life of repentance as we confess our sin regularly to him. Have you repented of your sin? As you hear Jesus call this first calling, of a disciple this morning, have you come to him in repentance, understanding and admitting your guilt to God and asking for his forgiveness. Confess not only your sin, but also your inability to do anything about it apart from Jesus. This is what Jesus gives us, the ability to deal with it, to bridge that gap between us and God. And this is how he calls his disciples. He always has, it always starts there when we turn to God's word, repentance. Who is he calling to repentance? Who is it that Jesus calls? And these are the following verses. Let me just read them to you once again, just so that we really have them clear in our mind where it says, While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who's called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, and they were casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets, and they followed him. And going on from there, he also saw two other brothers, James the son of Zebedee and John his brother, in the boat with Zebedee their father, mending their nets. And he called to them, and immediately they left their boat and their father, and they followed. Now there's a number of fascinating things that are kind of going on here in this passage. And these first of these things is simply in the fact that Jesus wasn't sought out like other rabbinic rabbis were, other rabbinic <coughs> teachers were. I mean, if you were a great rabbi and you had this wide reputation of being great, known for your greatness of teaching, you know, people were lined up to sit under you. You didn't need to seek people out. People wanted to come and to sit under your teaching and to learn from you. But only a few of those were chosen. They didn't all get to be selected to sit under the teaching of a rabbi. But Jesus takes this custom and he totally flips it on his head. He turns it totally upside down because that's not how Jesus chose to work. Already he is showing that his kingdom, this kingdom that he is bringing, is not going to be an earthly kingdom bound by earthly rules. Jesus seems to be doing here something that is quite different. And what he's doing is he's kind of aligning himself more with the Old Testament prophets rather than the present day rabbis and teachers. Because if you'll remember back, and we're going to be taking a look at this in a couple of weeks, but when we look back to Elijah's ministry, and when he went out to call the prophet who would follow him, if you remember this story, God spoke to Elijah, and he told him to anoint Elisha as the prophet who was going to follow after him. So Elijah goes out, he finds Elisha, and he's plowing in a field. And he throws his cloak over him in a symbolic action that Elisha immediately knew what that meant. And Elisha is so enthusiastic that all he asks of Elijah is that he be allowed to go home and to kiss his parents goodbye. And then he sacrifices the oxen that he was plowing with up until that time had provided him with his employment. He leaves it behind and he goes and he follows. And that's very similar to what is going on here. Jesus is following more so in this tradition. Except instead of sacrificing their oxen, what we see here, they throw down their nets. They cast their nets down and they leave it all. Now Jesus goes out and he finds those whom the Father has given him and they immediately follow. To be sought out by Jesus. You know, what an amazing thing that Jesus would come to you, the greatest teacher, the greatest rabbi, the one who had all things in his hands, and he comes and he says, come to me and follow me. To think that you didn't find him, but that he came and he found you. That's the kind of savior that we have. That's the kind of discipleship that we enter into. Now, the other striking detail of this event is that these first disciples, obviously it was said they dropped everything to follow Jesus. You know, much like Elisha, these guys said, you know, see you, Dad. And they went off to be with Jesus. They were with their father. And I'm not sure how Zebedee felt about all of this, but as a father, you know, it would be pretty tough to see your sons drop the family business, all that you had instructed them in, and then they're just, in an instant, it's like they're gone. You know, there's actually a lot that's made of the disciples being like this ragtag group of fishermen. We may have heard about that or thought about them in this way and to kind of think, like, really? Like, what did these guys have to lose? They were fishermen. You know, it really probably didn't take all that much for them to leave what they had and to go and to follow Jesus. But we're talking here about Galilean fishermen. And this was a well-known profession in this part of the world. You know, I had the opportunity to get to know a true fisherman during my final year of college. So it was actually, it was after we had been there together, after Tanya and I were married and we went back to school. And we met a guy there and we became friends with, his name was Dave. And he was about 35 years old and he had been fishing off the coast of B.C. his whole life with his dad on a fishing license that had been passed down to him from generation to generation to generation. Now, the way it works is that in order to be a commercial fisherman in the ocean, you have to have a license that allows you to fish in a very designated area. And now they don't just sell any number of licenses. In fact, if you don't have a license passed down through your family, you're never going to get one. They're not making more ocean, and so they have only a limited amount. You've got to have that passed down to you. Now, these licenses are worth hundreds of thousands of dollars, so you don't give them up easily. And this guy who we knew, Dave, he was continuing to fish in the summers to put he and his family through college. But he gave it all up upon graduation to follow the Lord into full-time ministry. It's a little bit more, I think, of what we see happening here. So while these first disciples, I mean, they're not the richest of the rich. But they were no slouches either. I mean, these guys had family tradition. They had good, steady employment and opportunities for the future. It was their life. It was everything for them. But yet, when that call came from Jesus, there was no thought about it. Immediately, they just dropped everything. They followed Jesus. There was just something so captivating about who Jesus was, the way he came to them, what it did to their hearts, that there was no question. They just drop it all and they follow him. Not only did they leave their means of making a living and providing for themselves, but they left their family business. The businesses that Zebedee was counting on his sons to continue on. A job that he had groomed them for since they were old enough to walk. A way of life that he himself had been groomed from his father and from their father before. They weren't just leaving a job. They were leaving the hopes the expectations of the entire family and culture. They were leaving their life as they knew it. They were off on this brand new adventure that they knew nothing about. No one had walked in these footsteps before them. That is the cost of discipleship. This was an easy believism. It wasn't that they just didn't have any options, so they thought, well, there's, I don't have anything else going on, I'm just going to follow this guy. He seems like he knows what he's talking about. No, this was real life, real cost discipleship. Discipleship is always costly. Jesus doesn't just call part of you. He calls all of us into this lifelong service and relationship together with him. It was costly, but it was worth everything to these guys. Now, another thing that I think it's interesting that we should note about Jesus' closest disciples is that they also weren't only men. There are women besides him as well, something that would have been very highly countercultural. Now, obviously, the 12 were men, but not far from them were many women. The New Testament tells us about these women who also left everything to follow Jesus. They are also what we would call itinerant disciples, the very closest followers of Jesus. These women traveled with Jesus. They were healed by him physically and spiritually. Many of them financially funded his mission. It wasn't just the poor and the marginalized who followed Jesus, though the book of Luke certainly focuses on that aspect, but we also see wealthy women who were drawn towards Jesus, entrepreneurial women among the poor, and the marginalized. You know, among these women we hear about the Gospel writers, they mention some of, their, uh, some of them by name in their stories, Mary of Magdala, Joanna, Susanna, Mary and Martha of Bethany, and we learn much about Jesus and about true discipleship through the stories of these women. I would encourage you to read a great little book that I'm reading through by Rebecca McLaughlin so called Jesus Through the Eyes of Women. It's a fascinating Uh, look into how we know Jesus and the way in which he taught and what that meant for his followers. We get a, a more rounded view of who he was and how he taught through these lenses. We see that Jesus calls all people, the rich, the poor, the privileged, the marginalized, the Jew, the Gentile, the sinners, men and women, all called by Jesus to repent and to follow. But why would they do this? This came at great cost. I mean, we even hear of how they would fund Jesus' journey and these missionary journeys. They would give great sums of money towards him so that he could continue on, not living in a lavish lifestyle, but that he would be able to obviously have enough to be able to uh, fund his ministry. Putting him up for night, feeding him, caring for him, providing in many different ways. Why would people have done this? Why would they have left everything to follow him and to give it all up? What did they understand in that instant that we struggle to understand our entire lives? The answer, I believe, is found in Matthew 13. It's a chapter that we will explore later in our discourse series. But in Matthew 13, it's full of parables about the kingdom of heaven. And in them we find a very short parable that teaches us so much that gives us a better understanding of why the disciples did what they did. In Matthew 13, 44, it says, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that is hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy, he went and sold all that he had, and he bought that field. Well, obviously, banking institutions hadn't been established. There was no credit union or bank to deposit your money into. So it was common in those days for someone to take their savings and to bury it in a field. And so here comes along this person. He finds this field that's for sale and he finds this treasure that had been left behind in it. You know, I often wonder what it would have been like to have been a pirate sailing the seas in search of buried treasure sailing in the seas. I think I was probably more uh, in, interested in the tall ships maybe, but when I finally had an opportunity to go deep sea fishing on a rather large boat, I was seasick within the first hour. I knew then I was a true prairie boy and I would have to give up that notion of becoming a seafaring wanderer for lost treasure. That was actually a very difficult dream to give up, because when you're young these things are real options for you, right? <laughs> but, but imagine this guy Because we kind of have this idea, you know, it would be like amazing, what would it be like to find this treasure? This guy Jesus is talking about, he goes out looking at an ordinary field to buy. Upon inspecting it, he finds buried treasure worth many times over what the field is worth and what he already owns. He goes and he sells everything that he has because compared to this treasure, everything else is worth nothing. I can get rid of absolutely everything, nothing that I have do I need, compared to this thing that I have found, so I'll get rid of absolutely all of it. He just instinctively does it. No questions asked. Everything he can to procure it. You see, this is the picture that we have here of the disciples and what they understood. This was their level of devotion and the way in which their hearts were so oriented towards this man who they had just met. For Peter and Andrew, the first two that Jesus called... They had been following him already for about a year, but they hadn't left their careers and families to join him full-time just yet. But now that Jesus gave them and their understanding of what it was that he was asking of them, it became clear. All that they had was worth so little compared to what Jesus had offered to them. The kingdom had become their treasure, and when something becomes our treasure... There is absolutely nothing else that compares. There is nothing that we wouldn't do in order to secure that treasure. Later on in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus will tell us that where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. That is one of the foundational elements, characteristics of a disciple. That where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And when your treasure is in Jesus, that's where your heart is. So this morning, the question to be asked is, where is your treasure? What is it that you are willing to leave everything to pursue, that you give your full allegiance and heart towards? This is what the disciples saw when they saw Jesus. This is why they were willing to just cast everything else down. They just threw it down, and they came to him because he had so captivated their heart. What captivates your heart? What are you pursuing beyond everything else this morning? What is it in your life that everything else pales in comparison to? What do you find yourself daydreaming about the most? What do you have the easiest time spending time and money on? These could be material things, they could be even things such as power, control, relationships, it could be so many different things. But this is where our treasure must be found, Jesus says, when he calls us. Like that treasure that was buried in that field that we're willing to drop everything like those disciples did and to pursue. This is the cost of discipleship. And it's not a cost that's difficult. You'll notice that you don't find these people struggling with this decision. It's not like, ah, you know, like, I guess I should do this, but it's really hard. You know, you you don't see that. It was done joyfully. It was like, of course I would do this. Jesus is so beautiful. His love is so all-encompassing. What he is offering is so beautiful that it is nothing for me to leave everything else to come and to follow you. For a true disciple of Christ, there is nothing that we should treasure more than the kingdom of heaven. When that happens, we will be able to drop everything like the disciples did, like Elisha did, like these women did, and follow Jesus. Jesus calls each of us. What did he call to do, finally? In verse 19, I think it's pretty clear that he says to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And it's just those simple, simple words that he says. He just simply says to them, Just follow me. He says, Come, follow me. What does that entail, though? Well, that's what the word Sermon on the Mount that we're going to be looking at starting next week is going to be all about, is what that entails and what that really means to follow him. But just as we're kind of on the outset here and as we are considering getting into this series, there's just a few basic things that I want to start with. Um, things I just want to kind of end a message off this morning. What does following me mean for the disciple? This is the one we looked at already, number one. There's just five things I want to briefly hit on. Repentance, we talked about that, but I will say that in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, Jesus calling his first disciples, it always came with the first step of repentance. We see that through all of the Gospels. That was the prerequisite. Each writer recorded it this way. We must be repentant. There is no other way. Second is obedience. And I mean, it makes sense, right? If Jesus says, follow me, I mean, you've got a decision to make. Are you going to obey that call? You're going to have to decide whether you're going to do it or not and following Jesus means obedience. For the disciples, they drop their nets, they drop their family in a striking act of obedience. I think our problem is that we wanna follow Jesus without having to be obedient. We think it'd be a lot easier, right? If I could just follow Jesus or claim to be a disciple of him but not really have to be obedient in all of these areas, you know, it won't really cost anything. It would be kind of this uh, easy way to be able to follow him maybe. I could still hold on to some of the things that I wanna do or be. We think we can still live how we live, act how we've always acted, believe what we've always believed, and just kind of add Jesus on. He's kind of this thing that we just kind of bring along, this guy we bring along with us. But that's not what following Jesus means. It's costly. Obedience is costly. What does it cost you? It costs these disciples everything. I mean, if you look at the rich young ruler, he's kind of like the opposite end of this spectrum. He heard the call from Jesus to follow him but he just couldn't do it. And what I think is maybe like one of the saddest stories, like he hears Jesus, he knows it, he believes what Jesus is saying, but when Jesus says you gotta sell everything, you just gotta come and you, and you gotta follow me, like it was just too much for him, he couldn't do it. And he, he's like, am I gonna be obedient to this? Am I gonna listen? Or I, He couldn't do it, he just he couldn't give it up. His treasure was still on other things and it's one of the saddest things when he just kinda turns his head and he walks away. His treasure was elsewhere, but where is yours? Obedience and submission is the third. Submission, it's kind of linked to obedience in a way. But it's one of the most striking things that Jesus says about discipleship is that it's kind of like putting on a yoke. Being a disciple of Jesus is kind of like putting on a yoke. You see, ox were yoked together. They were being driven by a master in order to do work. That was the reason. And this is a picture of what discipleship under the lordship of Jesus is. You know, He says, he says come to me. It says, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. There is a yoke that's there, but it's a different kind of a yoke, and it's a picture of discipleship under the lordship of Jesus. We must submit to Jesus as Lord because he knows us. He loves us, and he knows what's best for us and what we need, and so we must submit to him as disciples of his. So obedience and submission. You see the cost of these things. They're not easy things to do, but in order to submit is what it means to be a disciple. A disciple is, following Jesus also means to trust him when he says, follow me. How could we follow someone that we didn't trust? You know, would you follow a leader that you didn't trust? You certainly wouldn't give your life to someone that you didn't trust. Actually, last Sunday we we worshipped with our old church in Saskatoon and it was such a great worship service and we sang that old song, Trust and Obey. And there's no other way to be satisfied when we trust and obey And uh, Pastor Tim, he talked to us about that and encouraged us in that simple truth to start out the new year. That trust is a, a trusting and obeying. They're like, they're simple concepts. Like it's easy to sort of understand what that means, but to walk in it can be a difficult thing for us. But this is what we are called to do. There's no other way for the disciple, but we trust in him and we obey him. It's so simple, but it's so profound in what it does. And then finally, when Jesus says to follow me, He's not talking about just like a short-term type of a commitment, but he's talking about perseverance in his following. And we're going to see that as we go through the rest of the Sermon on the Mount and his call for discipleship, as this is a whole life thing. This isn't something that we're doing for a season, but this is something that he calls us to do with perseverance. And that's needed because following Jesus is not an isolated act. It's not something we just come to him once and then that's enough. It's like set it and forget it. No, you, you don't follow him once and then you're done. It's a constant lifestyle. If it's a lifestyle of commitment that isn't done until the race is won, until that final barrier is crossed, until the crown is received and all of the rewards are laid gratefully at the feet of Jesus. We continue to follow him until that time. James Boyce says that following Jesus is not only a door to be entered, but it's a path to be followed. Let's not reduce Christianity to just a door that we enter through, but also see it as a path that is to be followed. And a true disciple follows that path to the very end. To the very end. Until that reward is laid down gratefully at the feet of Jesus. David says in Psalm 119, he says that, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. My heart is set on keeping your decrees to the very end. His heart is set on keeping God's decrees to the very end. That's it. A true disciple is the one who follows Jesus to the end of everything. And so as we start off this new year, let's submit ourselves to Jesus as Lord of our lives. By repenting of our sins, by walking in daily obedience to him through the reading of his word, by trusting in his promises and in his saving grace, and by preserving and persevering through all things to the very end. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning for this picture that you've given us of of the call of your disciples. For those who you called, the way in which you have called them, and what you have called them to. And Father, as we start off this new year, we want to commit like we do each day of our lives to following you. To be able to trust in you, to obey you, and to be able to give all that we have to you. So Lord, what is it that we are holding on to that is stopping us from fully coming? Lord, I pray that you would forgive us of those things that hinder us and that weigh us down, and that we would just have just a an exalted vision of who you are, and that following you would not become a burden to us, that leaving things behind would not become a burden to us, but following you would be a joy. And so I, f- I just pray, God, that in the start of this year that there would be a joy in following you, a joy that would just characterize all of our lives uh, here together, that we would see you clearly, the message of the gospel, what you have called us to as being the most rewarding, fulfilling thing that we can give ourselves to. So thank you for the picture of this that you have given uh, to us through your word. And I pray that as we go through this series, we would come to understand it and to love it more and more day by day to the very end, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. Well, thanks for listening in to the preaching ministry of Ness Baptist, where we seek to equip people to love God and love others. If you would like more information about what we do and why we do it, please check out our website at nessbaptist.com where you will find links to all of our ministries, weekly updates, contact information for our staff, and a button to donate. Your donations go to making resources like this possible and helps us in many other ways in reaching our surrounding community with the good news of Jesus Christ. So thanks for listening. We hope to see you soon.